Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm back here with a, a very important episode tonight. We've got a lot of uh, interesting stuff to cover and get to. And uh, before we can get to any of that, we have to bring in my esteemed co-host, without whom none of this would get done, and that is Sam Bradley. Hey, Sam. Hey, Jamie. I like being esteemed. I don't know what it means, but it sounds cool. It's better than being boiled, apparently. So, <laughs> Okay. And we got Dr. Joe, who's enjoying his very cool backyard, because he showed us a picture. And the weather squatch. Kyle yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. Good to uh, be back for another one. So, Joe, I guess the weather's been pretty good out there, then, if you're enjoying the backyard. We've had some intermittent, heavy local thunderstorms, but uh, tonight is uh, spectacular, so doing well. Yeah, we've had them just about every day. Supposed to get another one tonight, but the worst I've ever seen was about Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was. It just did not quit. Kept coming, because usually we'll get a, a rain that'll be like 10 minutes, and then it's gone. Not this one. It lasted like four hours. I don't know, Kyle. You know anything about that one? Uh, well, Sam, it's, I mean, especially on the front range, now that the days are the longest that uh, they're, they're going to be now, right? Plenty of uh, fuel for those thunderstorms to persist long into the evening and even the overnight hours, uh, even up into the mountains where you are there on the front range of Colorado. So with that and ample moisture in place, uh, there along the uh, the front range as well. Everything just kind of pools up, and those storms can persist for quite a way, uh, quite a while, uh, as as they continue to grow and evolve with all the the weirdness and the complexity of the weather there on the front range. Indeed. Well, we got so much to talk about. Let's start with the tropics. Jamie and I were just talking about tropical storm Brett, and there's. Uh, Something right behind that that could be named tomorrow, but it doesn't look like they'll do a lot of harm, hopefully. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, first off, uh, Tropical Storm Brett, and uh, right now forecast to move across the Lesser Antilles um, this evening as a strong tropical storm. Uh, thankfully, it's forecast to keep heading pretty much due west uh, as as it moves along and uh, across the Windward Islands and then the uh, eastern and central Caribbean Sea Friday and Saturday. So not looking like a threat to any uh, United States uh, interest on the mainland, uh, thankfully. But then, as you said, Sam, right behind it is, as it currently stands, Tropical Depression Number 4, or TD4, as you'll see it on the outlooks from our friends at the National Hurricane Center. And uh, right now, that's expected to remain well uh, east of the northern Leeward Islands through early next week. Uh, but, of course, uh, at this point, right, just a good sort of watch-and-wait scenario for anyone along the uh, southeast or the eastern seaboard to see how exactly that system will evolve and where it will eventually track. It's still pretty far out there in the ocean, so uh, not uh, no ground truth observations uh, near it. So we're relying a lot on satellite data with as these forecast models are uh, predicting where they these uh, these systems will go and how they'll evolve when they're pretty far out in the ocean. But until they start approaching land, then uh, that's when you'll see those forecasts uh, Im improve significantly. Isn't that kind of early for June? 
Yeah, Jamie says that's Cindy maybe tomorrow. Yes, I yes, I believe that is the next name on, on the list there. And as far as uh, early for June, right, uh, typically um, this is when we'll, we will start to see that, uh, that gradual increase in our uh, Atlantic uh, hurricane activity as uh, as things ramp up right we already had um some very early action uh, in the early part of the year with uh with the storm that the national hurricane center ended up going back and and acknowledging oh yes that this did indeed occur um no major impacts but um this is uh, as we start to see uh you know those these you know the ocean heat content continue to rise here as we go on through the summer months here in the northern hemisphere uh, we're going to only continue to see uh, an increase uh, as we typically would expect for this time of year in the Atlantic Basin. Yeah, I understand there's like dueling factors, one of which is being the heat of the ocean and the other is being El Nino, that kind of one does one thing and one does the other. So I guess it's yet to be seen how those two match up. Indeed, and right, El Nino, just one of many factors, right, as you said, Sam, so right, in, in El Nino, right, that, that can, you know, referring to the uh, warmer than normal waters in the surface of the ocean in the uh, central and uh, central Pacific, but that has right downstream effects on the Atlantic as well as our weather here in the United States. But again, it's a, it's one factor, one of many factors that all of our, uh, our forecaster friends consider when they're uh, making these predictions, especially uh, as far out as we go. So, right, you you may also notice too that these uh, some of these hurricane and tropical storm forecasts, right, they're um, you know going out right five days in advance, and so that's definitely something to pay attention to. And that's why, right, to address that uncertainty in that forecast as you go forward in time, right, to account for that larger error. That's why you'll see that cone of uncertainty as it's aptly named, right, grow bigger as those you go further out ahead in time due to the inherent uh, chaoticness of the atmosphere and the difficulty in predicting exactly how and where things will evolve. Yeah, and we've seen that in previous years. Um, I don't remember which storm it was, but, you know, we knew it was going to be a bad one hitting Florida and going up the East Coast, and we kept watching it, and it's going to do this. No, it's going to do that. Look, now it's doing this. <laughs> I guess you never know, huh? Let's go to tornadoes. Already there's been 712 confirmed tornadoes for this year. Is that above board or average or what, Kyle? You know, Sam, uh, that's that's a good question. I don't have those stats in front of me uh, right now, uh, or do I have them memorized? But um, as we as you roll into uh, here in you know mid to late June, this is uh, when we um, do start to see uh, the, you know, the, more of the peaks in the uh, severe weather activity as well as tornadoes and things as well across uh, not just the, you know, the central plains, but also um, also into the upper Midwest and into the Ohio River Valley as well. And then uh, typically we also see a hotspot over Florida this time of year due to uh, hurricanes from landfall that are produced by landfalling uh, tropical systems as well. So uh, Northeast Colorado is also kind of part of that uh, 
bullseye, that climatological bullseye, right, for, for this week of the of the year as, as we look back over um, 30 years of climatology or so. And so that's why we're seeing um, a lot of these uh, bigger severe weather reports and, and more activity coming out of, you know, not just, you know, northern, eastern Colorado into the, into the central and northern plains, um, but also um, still some of that extending down into uh, for this particular uh, weather pattern that we've had. Uh, across uh, pretty devastating events across the South Central and uh, Deep South, uh, including a tornado just yesterday, I believe, that killed uh, at least four and injured at least 10 from some of the reports that I'm seeing. So uh, uh, very, very destructive. And uh, one of the more videos that was very powerful that I saw online was a uh, searchers lined up, um, you know, in a line and uh, moving through a field at night uh, to to search for uh well, I can only assume to be survivors uh, of of the event, and so it's uh, it was very very powerful video to watch. And you know, as as destructive as these events can be, it's really amazing to see communities come together in time of need. Absolutely, Jamie. I'm curious, Kyle, and maybe you don't know the answer to this. I'm not sure, but I'll give it a shot. Um, you know, it seems like that the tracking of these severe weather events across the South and Southeast is. Um, something that's that seems to be remarked upon in the news is unusual this time of year. Is there a specific weather weather pattern that's currently set up that's driving all of this severe weather so far south and and driving it to the east? Well, in fact, Jamie, that's uh, that's precisely what's going on. Is it's it's the weather pattern that we've sort of been uh, under here, and it's not it's the same weather pattern that's bringing that big heat dome over uh, Texas and now working its way further west into uh, New Mexico and Arizona there as well over the next couple of days as that as that area expands, and so as you have these storms uh, that that. That come over, they sort of go up and over that ridge, and then they kind of cascade on on the east side of that, which is across the southeastern United States and south central U.S. And that's uh, what often that's what will force those storms to follow that particular track and produce uh, their impacts in that particular area. So it's it's very very uh, individual storm track dependent. And uh, even just a low pressure center dependent, right, exactly where that low pressure center is, where the warm and cold fronts are, and then how it interacts with what's all going on at the surface. And so, right, it's uh, the we often talk about these very high impact, you know, events that occur like, you know, high, very high damaging winds uh, up to and including tornadoes, as well as large hail and, and flooding, things like that. Right. But there's a lot that has to and I'll, I'll say this very cautiously, but, you know, to go right in the atmosphere to produce these types of uh, heavy hitting uh, widespread impacts um, from these particular storms. Uh, now, right, when they form, now they interact with our built infrastructure at the surface, right? And that's where the true disasters occur. Well, on that note, um, I keep seeing information on the tornado alley shift, that it is, in fact, going to go like four to 500 miles more eastward and maybe even pick up some of Tennessee. What do you know about that? Well, Tornado Alley, right, that's, it's, it's very nuanced, right? There's, there's some different schools of thought as to, you know, what, what Tornado Alley is, the area it defines. There's, right, as you said, Sam, right, a lot of discussion as to, you know, does Tornado Alley really capture what, 
and and mean what uh, you know a, an individual like a layperson versus a scientist would maybe interpret it to mean and and what it would actually mean and yes there there is some ongoing discussion about how that's defined but it's it's just like uh saying you know that hurricanes have seasons right you know we tornadoes or excuse me hurricanes and tropical uh, systems can form anytime that the the ingredients come together and and the environment is right for these storms to form right they they don't follow the the calendars and the seasons that we necessarily put on them uh, as as scientists and weather professionals and so uh, the same for severe weather right yes there is the historically talked about tornado alley and then you know dixie alley in the in the southeast i know that's gotten a bad name for several reasons over the the recent years but it's important to remember that um, all 50 states have had tornadoes and there it can occur any time of year that those conditions are favorable for them to form. So let's not get hung up on, you know, lines and circles and areas we draw on a map because severe weather doesn't discriminate and we should prepare accordingly. Ah, good point. So you ready for the tornadoes, Joe? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, my, uh, uh, colleagues on uh, Texas's task force have been out most of uh, the past week responding to uh, all those storms in uh, in Texas, and uh, we've had a few in this area, but it's been mostly uh, uh, west of us uh, so far. And hopefully, it'll stay there. Uh, Jamie has a question. Yeah, Joe. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about with um, responders during the uh, the disaster situations in Texas, with all the extreme heat that they're experiencing there, um, do you have any word on how that's impacting response and um, management of the responders themselves due to the extreme heat? Yeah, it certainly adds uh, several layers of complexity to the work. Uh, you know, part of the challenge is. Uh, keeping responders as safe as possible, meaning they're in, you know, personal protective equipment, long sleeve shirts, usually uh, uh, heavy boots, uh, you know, helmets and gloves and things like that. Uh, if there are, you know, fires and uh, other dust uh, related stuff going on, then you may well be in respiratory protection as well. Uh, so, uh, all of that makes staying cool much more difficult. That shortens the, the work cycle uh, and you have to rest more often. And obviously you have challenges with hydration. Uh, it, it absolutely affects, uh, the dogs quite a bit, uh, really shortens the time that the dogs can work without, uh, pulling them back and, and getting them rehydrated. And, uh, it's certainly not uncommon for us to see, uh, particularly with the, the high drive dogs that we use, that they'll uh, they'll work themselves until they collapse, and uh, then you have to you know to literally intervene on them to get them rehydrated and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I want to talk some more about um, that Texas heat wave, but a few other points on tornadoes. Um, they had an EF four in Iowa, that one you were talking about, um, Matador, Texas. That was where four people died and ten were injured. Um, but what was interesting, too, was I was watching a video about Oklahoma, which is like ground zero for tornadoes, and they had a whole night of tornadoes, including an EF3 and an EF4, and of course, you can't see those suckers, so they did a lot of damage because there were so many of them. Right, Kyle? Yes. Yeah, There's there's been... Uh, quite a few days already this year where there have been uh, some pretty large 
uh, outbreaks of of tornadoes, including that right the classic um, area like Oklahoma, right, which is why all two of our some of our major national centers there, including the Storm Prediction Center there in Norman, Oklahoma, right, the ones that are issuing those severe weather outlooks as well as severe thunderstorm and tornado watches. Um, also, fire weather products as well. Uh, that's right a discussion for another day. But um, yeah, definitely some some very uh, unique challenges. Even even right with with a population and and a people there that are incredibly resilient, incredibly smart, and incredibly weather savvy. Right, as I said earlier, right, weather and and Mother Nature, right, they just don't discriminate. And you know, even those that are are very very resilient. Uh, with recovering from tornadoes and, and even responding to them, experts, even so, right? Even you know when when they do impact a community, right? Th- those impacts uh, still can be absolutely devastating. Yeah, and this is and we're talking 110 plus, and this has been going on for a while. And from what I understand, it's not gonna it's gonna go through the end of the month. I can't imagine how that's gonna affect people, responders as well. Um, and the, the what really sucks is there's no relief at night. In Colorado, we can open the windows at night and we get some relief if it's hot during the day, but not so much in Texas. Why are they getting so much heat? Well, Texas and areas of the uh, of the you know both Texas and now into New Mexico and kind of building to the west a little bit, um, it's a, a ridge of high pressure. Is is what's driving this, and so it's uh, the as the as the jet stream moves, right? It kind of moves. Um, it can be kind of more linear, so uh, moving more west to east, keep things moving along a little bit more quickly. More uh, diversity in the weather, right? The old adage, right? If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. That's usually when the jet stream is moving things pretty quick from from west to east as as our weather moves here in the northern hemisphere. But uh, during times, uh, sometimes we can have these patterns set up where we have these persistent uh, ridges and, and troughs, but ridges where the high pressure is. In those ridges and under that high pressure, uh, you have sinking air. And as air sinks in our atmosphere, it warms due to compressional warming. And so we have these uh, persistent uh, areas, uh, such as now, that have high pressure that produce these heat waves. And these are this also um, compounds it, right? We're further to the to the west in the desert areas, right? You have it's uh, you don't have as much moisture in the air, so there can be some more recovery at night, and and those high temperatures, those feel like temperatures, right? Uh, heat indices, uh, heat indexes is one of the measures that that you'll hear used a lot. Um, those are often lower than over as you get more close to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, where you have that moisture coming on shore, and now you not only have the the hot air itself, but now you add moisture into that air, and it's uh, very difficult to. Um, really difficult to to stay cool. You get less temperature recovery at at night, and right, really, really wreaking havoc on those vulnerable uh, populations, uh, and even those that may that now right with with the strain on the power grid, some people being asked to to increase the temperature on their uh, you know in their house and to reduce the strain on the grid, and so now we're seeing right population impacts, negative population impacts on a wide scale due to inadequate infrastructure here in in our country that's already being strained. And with as we go forward into an increasingly warmer climate with more weather extremes, 
that's going to only put more strain on those increasingly vulnerable systems that we rely on truly to survive. So on that note, Joe, how does humidity make things so much worse when it's hot? Uh, well, much as, as Kyle was explaining, the, the additional moisture in the air uh, uh, contains heat. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a way for the air to uh, hold more heat. Uh, and it also uh, lessens our body's ability to cool itself. We, we cool ourselves by, uh, especially when we're very hot, by sweating, and then the sweat evaporates. And so if the moisture content in the air is very high, sweat has a more difficult time evaporating, and therefore um, we are, our body's cooling system is less efficient. How do you expect, I mean... When you look at the general population, you're going to have people, like Kyle said, the electricity goes out and they, or they have to lower it to keep the power grid from failing. You've got the elderly. You've got children. How If this goes for another week, what kind of effects is that? I mean, we're going to, looking at deaths here? Yeah, it's a definite possibility. Uh, you know, certainly heat... Uh, uh, illness uh, can can come on not not just with exertion but being exposed to uh, a very hot uh, area so people who are in their homes with no power uh, those who have uh, less ability to uh, respond in other words they're bedridden or stuck in a wheelchair have limited mobility etc so you know those those people are uh, exceedingly vulnerable to the effects of heat simply because their abilities to get themselves to a cooler environment are uh, impacted. This goes back to uh, keep an eye on your neighbors, right, Jamie? It does. And um, there's been um, a, the World Health Organization and the CDC, I, I posted a link in the chat, was um, there's some information in there about um, increases in heat-related deaths. And then it they call it a sneaky climate issue because it's not as flashy as a hurricane or tornadoes um, when it draws news attention, but it is one of the leading causes of weather-related deaths um, it, it is the heat itself. Um, but it's not often reported as, as, um, as widely uh, as a problem. So it's something that, that yeah, definitely check on your neighbors. Uh, be aware um, if you're a responder. Be aware of where in your community you have those at-risk people. You you know where the um, the, the affordable housing um, pro, pro programs are in your communities. Um, you know where those places are where people don't have air conditioning, and those are the people where if you have a a break, you know, just check on those individuals that you you know, would call maybe your frequent flyers um, to find out where they are and how they're doing. Um, maybe it keeps you from having a call back there later on. Kyle, you want to mention the point you just put in the sidebar there? Yeah, absolutely. This is uh, just adding on to uh, what Jamie was saying with how, right, weather or heat, right, it's it's not not a sexy weather hazard, if, if I can use that phrase, but it, it is, on, on average, as tracked by the National Weather Service, weather fatalities, then um, these, are, these are tracked. And in both 2022, as well as the year 2022, as well as the 10-year and 30-year average, heat is the number one weather-related 
uh, killer in, across the United States, but it's the one that you you'll hear it mentioned in a news clip and probably just kind of moved on to the next topic after that. Right. So it's it's something that increasingly needs to be integrated into uh, local response as well as uh, community uh, you know, mitigation and climate action plans as well. Absolutely. And it's the first day of summer and we're already got that. So I, it's scary to think what's going to come next. So I need something cool. Let's finish with hail. <laughs> We've had a lot of hail in Colorado. In fact, I had a concert up at Red Rocks and you know where that is. And it, it was insane. And I was reading something on that and hail can fall at a hundred plus miles per hour. So if it's big hail, we got a problem, right, Kyle? Oh my gosh, Sam. Yes. Uh, absolutely terrifying video, uh, coming out of, uh, Red Rocks last night, uh, concert venue located in Morrison, just West of downtown Denver, just off the I 70 there. And for those of you that have attended, right. Amazing venue. It's, it's fantastic, but it's, it's a, it's an outdoor venue and I'm sure, you know, ask, uh, some of you that are listening, or if you're younger, ask, ask your folks, they may have seen concerts there and known someone that did. But oh my gosh, this uh, this thunderstorm that that moved through uh, that area, it was um, severe warned by the National Weather Service out of Boulder, and uh, highlighting uh, primarily a uh, not just a wind but also a hail threat as well, right? And for a severe thunderstorm warning, that means that the National Weather Service is expecting wind gusts of at least 58 miles per hour, or and or hail one inch in diameter or greater. In this case, the hail was the the main uh, star of the show, unfortunately, uh, resulting in uh, multiple injuries. And this hail came down so quickly and in such great, great mass that it was actually piling up on the ground. And if you've ever walked around Red Rocks on a, on a dry, sunny day, right, and, and you're not fully celebrating and enjoying the show there, um, it can sometimes be difficult to, to move around on those very steep steps within that venue and now throw uh, a bunch of... Um, you know, about at least one inch diameter balls down on there and try to walk through them and not slip and fall and and otherwise get hurt. But um, lots of the injuries that I saw were, um, you know, multiple, just like small contusions uh, from that hail falling, as well as uh, cuts and scrapes. And even I heard a couple of uh, broken bones as well, which I can only assume are from uh, slips, trips and falls secondary to that hail. Yeah, people were reporting that it was going sideways and it was like getting hit with a not bullets necessarily, but, you know, some kind of gun. So I can only imagine. The irony is uh, people in Texas would love to have this, <laughs> strangely. Um, but you in, never Indeed. Know. But it's, it's <laughs> right. But it, it also hints at, right, where you have, you have, there's, there's always this balance, right? Especially for, as, as we get in, right, you said, Sam, first day of summer, we've got lots of, uh, you know, celebrations coming, outdoor events, uh, both small family gatherings, all the way up to large community events and ensuring that you're, that there's, there's someone watching the weather. If it's a large outdoor venue and you're responsible for working it in a professional capacity, by all means, ask the question, do we have a severe weather plan? And if, if we do, what is it, right? Be familiar with it, train your colleagues on it, right down to, uh, right down to the food vendors, right? If, Right. If we hit these thresholds or you hear this over the loudspeakers, this is what you do. This is where you go. And this is how you can help other people get to safety. So empower those around you and help keep folks safe at these outdoor venues 
uh, from uh, from you know these these multiple weather hazards that can present themselves because uh, often once once they uh, start to impact us, there's it's time to react. There's very little time to to think. We got to follow the plan. And like you've said any number of times before, Kyle, have a NOAA radio, have the apps that tell you what the heck's going on out there, what might be coming, um, and hopefully you've prepared for it. So, Joe, any final thoughts? Well, I think you summarized it beautifully. It's all about preparation and uh, having a plan for how you're going to respond to something that is uh, potentially somewhat unexpected, but uh, the... uh, you know, the, the awareness of the situation will keep you uh, at least attuned to the level of risk that you have so you can uh, prepare accordingly. So, Jamie, the East Coast seems pretty quiet, given what's going on in the rest of the country. <laughs> Almost too quiet. I mean, we're really flirting with drought conditions here in the Mid-Atlantic and um, Northeast. Um, in fact, um, we're, we're really thankful that we've got about a three-day stretch of on and off rain here for the next few days uh, that uh, will help alleviate some of that. The farmers are really concerned because the, the corn's starting to come up and it really needs the rain this time of year to, to get that spurt going to, to, to shoot up. And um, so uh, in my area, the corn and the beans and stuff really rely on the rain quite heavily. Absolutely. So lastly, Kyle, what does this next week look like? Anything we should be concerned with besides the eat in Dallas? Uh, yeah, hot and dry down in the uh, down in Texas and into the desert southwest. And then uh, looks like a little burst of rain coming through the northeast as we go on through the week. Um, otherwise, uh, still looking mostly dry in the upper Midwest, unfortunately, with uh, those farmers being really concerned as well. So, Jamie, we always learn something from Kyle, don't we? Well, we do, and it's always great to hear Kyle's voice again. We we miss uh, having you on, brother, just uh, so so often now. You're you're so busy, and uh, we really appreciate you making the time for us. Absolutely, Jamie. Always a pleasure to be on and uh, reconnect with uh, you all and our amazing fans out there. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about all the things that we were talking about, especially the responders that are dealing with some of these severe weather events and the, the side effects associated with responding during them. And, uh, you know, it, it comes back to training and, and being prepared. We've done episodes on acclimatizing yourself and your team to heat in the past on the show. We've done a lot of different things. And uh, all of that comes down to how and where and when you train and uh, Joe, uh, how do you all handle at Paragon Medical Education Group the the training during hot weather? That's just part of the scenario uh, in many cases. But you know, I, I think the issue is uh, if if you uh, are not prepared for stuff like that, uh, being able to respond in a meaningful way is not a um, a uh, uh, unplanned event. It, it, you're only effective if you've got the right tools and uh, you've prepared and you've trained, et cetera. So you want to you want to make sure that your folks are ready uh, and that they're ready in all conditions. Great, Joe. Before we let you go, um, you just posted something on Heads Up CPR. Um, apparently, that's a thing, and uh, Kyle would like to see an episode on it. Can you give us just a quickie on what uh, that? Sure. So uh, happy to. Uh, what I had sent to uh, the, the folks on the podcast here tonight was uh, 
a teaser uh, that was a, a New York Times uh, article about uh, Heads Up CPR. It, it's fairly short uh, and gives you a, a brief overview of it, but uh, I wanted to uh, throw it out there so that uh, perhaps we could uh, look at discussing it uh, in, in the upcoming episode. Absolutely. That's I know Kyle will be listening. Okay, Jamie, back to you. <laughs> no, I just I think that's great, and it's one of the reasons we love having you on, Joe, because you're so plugged into uh, the trends and what's important for us to be aware of when dealing with severe medical issues and especially sudden cardiac arrest. Um, when people want to find out how to connect with you in Paragon Medical Education Group and some of the amazing resources and educational things that you can make possible for an organization, uh, where can they do that? Well, they can certainly find us on the web at Paragon Medical Education Group. Uh, we have a, a, a site on Facebook as well, and they can always reach us through the Disaster Podcast. Fantastic. Kyle, where can folks follow what you're up to? Well, Jamie, uh, folks can find me on all the major social media platforms under the handle WX Kyle Nelson. And I'd love to connect with our listeners and continue the conversation and follow along with all the uh, beautiful adventures here in uh, tower climbing and all the craziness in the mountains this summer. <laughs> Sam, how about you? Well, in those social media places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11 in our Facebook community and disasterpodcast.com. Jamie? You can find me under the handle Podmedic in most social media locations, always in our Facebook group for Disaster Podcast and at disasterpodcast.com. Don't forget you can subscribe over at disasterpodcast.com. There's a link to subscribe below the audio player on any of our episode pages, and we'd love for you to do that because you'll definitely want to be around when we bring in Joe to talk about that Heads Up CPR article and the research that's going on out there regarding that. So that'll be in an upcoming episode before too long here. So you'll definitely want to subscribe so you do not miss that. Uh, that's going to be important stuff. And uh, Sam, thanks for pulling this episode together tonight. Uh, there's so much going on all the time that it's it's sometimes important to just kind of do an overview like this and take a look at everything that's affecting responders in different places and in different ways. Absolutely. And we love having Kyle, the smartest man in the world, I think. Or at least he makes us think so. But, you know, wherever you are in the country, it's, it's the same thing. Like Joe mentioned, be prepared. 